CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome back to the Mining Pod. On today's show, we are joined by Rafa Zaguri, the CIO at Swan, and also the head of mining at Swan Mining, a new project that just launched with 4.5 exahash under deployment and at a target of 8 exahash. It's a really great conversation answering all the questions people have had about this stealth launch Swan. So we get into ASICs, Energy, JV, partners, and also plans for Swan going public in the near future. We want to thank CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner, for making this show possible. You will hear from CleanSpark a little bit later in the episode. Before we jump into the episode, we want to ask people to go and subscribe to Blockspace.media, our newsletter. Just type in Blockspace.media into your browser or click below in the show notes. It'll take you over to our website. You can see recent blog posts and then subscribe directly to the newsletter to get it in your inbox twice per week. This week, we'll have a great piece from Secure Digital Markets or SDM talking about a lot of things that happened in 2023 and forward-looking 2024 for Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. So go and check that out. Okay, let's jump right into the episode. Welcome back to the Mining Pod. Today, we're joined by the CIO of Swan, Rafa Zaguri. Welcome to the show. Really excited for today's conversation. Thanks, Will. Great to be here. Listen for, to a lot of your episodes, man, lately as we got into mining. So very happy to be here now. Yeah, I mean, you guys got everyone flat-footed. Like, let's just be honest. Uh, I had heard rumors of Swan getting into the mining game for a little bit, but I never knew what the size of it was going to be. If it's just going to be a hosted model, we've seen it like with Compass or River or some of these other financial services out there. Maybe River is probably the best example. But you guys went for the whole thing, you know, 4.5x a hash, going out self-mode, plans for 8x a hash, and then even a future announcement or pre-announcement to go public in the future, which we've certainly seen a lot of mining companies go public. Like Grid went, uh, got listed on the NASDAQ last week. So I'll hand it over to you just to kind of lay the table for us, uh, your background, yourself, and then what's going to Swan's pursuit of Bitcoin mining. Yeah, very quickly on my background, because the interesting story is not about me, it's about what we've built. So uh, I made a career in financial services, worked at Wall Street for most of the time. So worked at uh, Goldman, Merrill, Deutsche Bank, mostly doing trading. So did all different kinds of trading, fixed income trading, derivatives trading. Um, then 2016, moved back to Brazil, where I'm from originally, started two companies here, uh, an investment banking company. And then also a landing fintech. Uh, loved technology from a very young age, started coding really, really early. 
and I think what, I'm one of the the few bankers that loves to code, which is <laughs> definitely a rare, very rare breed. Uh, but it gives, you know, I think it gives me a, a, an unfair advantage in a couple of things. Um, being in Bitcoin for a while, I think part of being coming from the technology side, you know, caught my attention earlier on than most people. And been thinking after I left my company uh, a few years ago, being thinking what to do. You know, Bitcoin was an obvious place to, to put my energy on. Um, coming mostly from the monetary side of Bitcoin, I was looking where, where I could help. Uh, but also coding, as I said, has been a passion. So started a couple of open source projects, contributing to different open source projects out there. Fun fact, I was an early contributor to Spectre, which then actually ended up at Swan uh, and is part of our company as well. So new Moritz from, from back there uh, started an open source project back then to do like a, a portfolio analysis that kind of morphed into an Akamoto portfolio, which is something that we've Swan has de developed as an open source tool for people to see how Bitcoin would be in their portfolios. Uh, again, you know, through the interest of, uh, of Bitcoin was like everybody else on very active on Bitcoin, Twitter, uh, Matt Quarry there. And, uh, when Quarry mentioned something around, he was looking to, you know, build up Swan, sent him a DM. And, uh, this was pretty much a little bit longer than a, than a year ago, like 13 months ago. Um, and what a ride it's been like, uh, like in any startup, you know, you're trying different things or going different directions and seeing what will stick, what won't stick. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, then I'll tell you the story about mining because that's a uh, part of that, of that journey of trying to, you know, develop Swan, you know, rebuild Swan and, uh, getting to, to where we are. Awesome. So for your background, like financial services, how does that fit into mining for yourself? Like, is this still like you're learning kind of on the go through this? Obviously, you have like a deep background in financial financial services and can kind of pull on that. But what was it like to kind of jump into the mining seat, uh, which is obviously a very difficult uh, job. It's super competitive. Yeah. And, and I think when you think about mining, right, the one of the biggest inputs of mining is uh, is capital, right? It's fiat. So uh, that part I understand really well. I've you know raised capital for my company. My company went all the way to Series D when I raised capital. So you know I've always raised capital. And investment banking also, you know, that's pretty much what we did. Um, so that fits right into mining. I'm also very data analytical. I love data. We've developed through the last year. We've developed a data analytics tool uh, that it's you know probably as and we hear this from other people that have seen it, it's probably one of the best ones out there which look at everything you know all the way from the ASIC level how much hash rate we're deploying you know how much we expect to be receiving how much we're actually receiving um so you know it fits right into my background i think the part and you know it, it it's a mix between technology you know money coding, all the things that I really like about. And I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, Quarry gave me the opportunity to to really grow this business and to get to, to where we are. Gotcha. So talking about Swan itself, tell me how you guys are thinking internally about this project. I saw from the announcement that the mining arm is going to be a sister entity. Uh, you guys made some uh, pretty declarative language there about how like, mining is very capital intensive. There's certainly like a lot of debt involved in these sort of operations. And you guys want to be very clear that like the financial services side of Swan and the mining side of Swan are like separate entities and they can't really like you know, pull down on one another. 
Uh, I'd be curious to know like why you guys did that or how you guys are thinking about it, but also like what are the upsides for Swan to be involved with a mining company and then how it benefits the mining company to be attached to a, a financial services company like Swan. So through the last year, right, uh, we've been thinking about how to diversify sources of revenue for Swan. Um, and historically, the business that everybody knows Swan about uh, for are twofold. The one is the media part. So we have very strong media presence. People know us a lot, have a very strong brand, right? Uh, but then in terms of products, in terms of revenue, the only revenue uh, vertical that we had was selling Bitcoin. So clients actually, you know, and, and only one directional because we don't have a sell button in our, in our app, you know, by design uh, feature, not a bug. Uh, so clients can only stack Bitcoin with us, right? Which uh, if you compare with other exchanges that have buy and sell, you know, we're foregoing a lot of activity, but as I said, feature, not, not a bug. So as we looked at that and we know that's a business that ultimately fees are going to go to zero, right? And actually we are going to be the ones also helping to drive fees to zero. So as we do that, uh, we started to thinking about, okay, so if we really, because the, the, the goal of being a public company came before that, we think it's super important to, for a Bitcoin only company to become public, not only as a statement, but to prove also that, you know, this is a, a business that long-term, if you're focused on Bitcoin only, you actually can get something out of that. And that hasn't happened before. That's a, a key differentiator for us. Most of the companies that went out there, they weren't Bitcoin only, right? And they were, they, they were doing other things. So um, to do that, we started brainstorming a lot last year around, okay, so if you want to diversify sources of revenue, where do we go next, right? And uh, we started expanding, the, expanding first the financial services model. So we went out to cover financial advisors, for example, right? And to look at what they were doing and seeing how they would fit Bitcoin in their portfolio. How does it fit uh, on an overall asset allocation, right? That's been part of what, what we did last year. We also expanded into other like uh, retirement accounts, right? It's another vertical. It's still kind of like in the same bucket, but another source of revenue. So we're going from revenues that are spotty trading to being more, you know, long-term fee base, which makes the business more stable. So we did all of that. But then we started to look, you know, mostly driven by feedback from our clients and people out there into looking at other things. So lending was one of them. A lot of people asking us about, okay, so I have Bitcoin. I don't want to sell Bitcoin. I don't want to rehypothecate my Bitcoin. Is there a lending solution out there that you guys could offer that, uh, you know, there's no rehypothecation, the rates are fair rates, and I could just use my Bitcoin as collateral. So that was one of the areas that we looked at, right? Uh, as I said, I started a lending fintech. So that was one area that also caught my attention into going towards. And I also think that through same thing, it, and it always goes back, I think, to the power of the brand the power of knowing people, the kind of flow that comes to us. So we see a lot of deal flow and we see Bitcoin company co companies coming to us all the time and saying, and just either asking for advice, looking, oh, we're looking to raise capital. How can you help us? You know, if you look at the system, other people that we should be connecting with, right? And we leverage our network and other people that we know to kind of make the connections. So. Swan Institutional was born out of this, from the connections that we have and the people that we have. Uh, and at the time, we didn't know it was going to be Swan Institutional, right? But it started growing like that. So they said lending was the first vertical. 
Then we started looking into investments. There was one specific company that came to us, which was a mining company. So back in June, around June of last year, they came to us like looking to raise capital. And then through the process of due diligence, of understanding the company, that's looking at what was happening, there are a couple of things that really caught our attention. The first one, you know, when we look at the cycle of where we were, not only in Bitcoin price, which is the obvious one, but also on ASIC prices, right? When we started to see the prices of in dollars per terahash of the ASICs back then and where they were in 2021, right? That's really caught our attention. And like, well, maybe we should just buy ASICs and, you know, just warehouse them and wait for prices to go up because they're dirt cheap right now, right? Again, this was middle of last year. I would say this is probably where Swan Mining started, right? We just had this idea, okay, let's go out, let's raise capital, let's buy ASICs, right? Uh, similar to what Adam Back has done, I think, with their basic uh, notes, right? That was, before they launched that, that was something that we, we were working on and we were looking at. Um, but mainly directly into the ASIC uh, opportunity, right? So this is the, as you asked me, like why to go uh, on stealth mode? This is the main reason. So when we started buying ASICs, right? Uh, first of all, we didn't know how much capital we were going to raise. We went out and, you know, we were very impressed by the appetite of investors to actually get into something like this. I think, you know, Bitcoiners want to invest in the Bitcoin ecosystem and there are very few opportunities out there. So when there's something that, you know, potentially has good IRI, potentially good diversification to what they're doing, right? And on top of that, help the network, that makes perfect sense. So we, you know, to our surprise, we got very good traction in terms of capital raise. Uh, so I said, okay, so let's go out and buy some ASICs, right? So we went out, we didn't want the market to know that we were buying them because as soon as the market knew, probably prices would start to, to go up. Um, and we started accumulating ASICs. We bought, you know, mostly in the beginning S19 J Pros, um, which is still, you know, one of the machines we, we like. They're not the one that we like the most. And I can get into that in, in more details later. Uh, but that's what we did. And then after we bought the machines, right? And uh, the, again, the whole goal was let's buy the machines, let's wait for prices to change, and then eventually you may sell them. Um, we started to think, well, if we have the machines, right, and they are sitting here, the opportunity cost is massive, we should just deploy them. And again, goes back to the same thing, having good relationships in the industry and people that know as well, uh, we have people that have been in mining for a while that know a lot of the operators out there that know the sites out there. We call them up, say, okay, so if we have ASICs to deploy, where should we deploy, right? And I said, well, there's this opportunity here with this host, with that host, with that host. So we started having calls, started deploying some hash rate and some of these sites, right? Uh, that led, I think, to, uh, you know, we're starting to see some revenue out of it that got our investors even more interested on it. You know, as soon as you start seeing Bitcoin being mined every day, you know, it just gets a little, a little bit more exciting, right? Because I think this is one of the beauties of mining. It's very, you know, you, you, your rewards come very quickly. You deploy the capital, you deploy the hash rate, plug in the machines, and you know, right away you're actually earning Bitcoin, which is it's very different than a lot of cycles that we see in, in other industries, right? Um, so, we started deploying and then I can get in details like, you know, how we did the deployment, how we made sure that, and this was also another reason why we wanted to do it in stealth mode, because as we were going to these operators, right, 
as soon as they knew it was Swan, they would probably jack prices up, right? And so coming in as a different company, as a subsidiary, right? Uh, there were a lot of NDAs that were <laughs> that were signed, as you can have an idea, right? We're signing NDAs, you know, with pretty much everybody that we're talking to. Uh, yeah, and, to, and this is actually to our surprise, we were pretty sure this was gonna leak out at some point. And we were also pretty sure that, you know, as soon as we started talking about our numbers and, and Swan Institutional, that somebody would figure out that, you know, this was all coming from mining. Uh, again, to our surprise, it, it didn't. <laughs> People guessed all different things and mining was the last thing that they, 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 they were looking at. I still think mining is one, it, you know, I still know a lot of people that have been in Bitcoin for a long period of time. They don't get involved in mining at all. Right. So it's kind of like this almost this separate part. I'm one of those. Like I've, you know, been, as I said, in Bitcoin for a long time, you know, actually tried to help on the on the on the Bitcoin code, was really deep into it. But mining, I mined a little bit, you know, a while back just to see how it worked and then just put it aside. Uh primarily because it's not economical, you know, <laughs> to mine in Brazil. But uh, but anyway, it's uh, just now it's when I'm really deep diving into it. And I think there are a lot of people like that. So it's not natural to make the connection, right? Talk about the Bitcoin. And also it's a Bitcoin financial services company, right? So it's a little bit afar, even though the more we look into it, the more we see that, you know, the business are extremely complementary. They make a lot of sense. Everything that we do at the end of the day, it's to help the Bitcoin ecosystem. Uh, and, you know, mining couldn't be better for, for that. But I'll stop here and I'll see if you have more specific questions. The story has a lot of details that I left out, um, but uh, this is how we got here. In the competitive world of Bitcoin mining, one name stands out, CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. At CleanSpark, efficiency isn't just a goal, it's our standard. Our sophisticated facilities are built and led by expert teams who care about Bitcoin and the communities we work in. Scale, we've mastered it. Our large-scale operations have set us apart in the industry as examples of community-oriented building. Our track record speaks for itself. We navigate the complexities of the new economy with precision and with skill, continuously achieving operational milestones. Curious about how we do it? We invite you to discover the story behind CleanSpark's success at cleanspark.com. Yeah, I definitely have questions. So let's let's go back through a little bit and talk about uh, the genesis for this idea. Last summer, you guys are looking at the ASIC market. You guys are picking up S19J Pros and other similar units. How were you guys thinking about your ASIC strategy, noting that, yes, ASIC prices were cheaper, but those were typically units that were maybe not as efficient are going to happening. A lot of these units were kind of dumped out to the market for a specific reason. Yeah, I mean, we went through all of that. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why we picked, uh, you know, mostly S19J pros and uh, with ratings above 100. And, uh, and more, more recently, S19Ks, because we think these machines are efficient enough that, you know, even through the having, at the end of the day, right, what you need to be worried about is three things is, Cost of capital, right? So if we have cost of capital that it's uh, okay, we're not paying extremely high interest rates. And I didn't get too much into detail that I'll come back. Um, energy prices, right? And then efficiency of the of the machines, right? 
so if we get energy prices, they are fairly low that we're comfortable with, right? And this is all math at the end of the day, right? To plug in into a model and we can see, okay, so after the having, how much are we making on these machines? As I said in the beginning, we like to measure everything. So we have different models to price all of these things in different stress uh, scenarios of Bitcoin price, you know, difficulty, everything else. Uh, but as a, this is not complicated. This is pure basic math at the end of the day, right? Uh, and as we looked at these, the, the J-Pros with the kind of electricity that we're getting, the price where the machines were, it just seemed they, they aren't great, but they were okay, right? Particularly with the prices that we're, where we're getting there in the, in the very <laughs> bottom of the, of the price market, right? So these are machines that were trading, you know, as I said, more than $100 per terahash. And again, earlier in the cycle, the machines were more efficient. Difficulty was lower back then, but still now they were trading at, you know, the low teens. So significantly discounted from where, where they were. Um, so we have an advantage also that since we were buying our, we were buying our fleet last year, uh, different than most of the miners out there. Most of the miners out there had to buy not only more expensive machines, but also, you know, they went through a cycle where Bitcoin price went down, right? Where interest rates went up. So it's like, it was like disaster scenario for most of the miners. So if I can control your few things that you can control in mining, right? So if I can control our energy costs, make sure that the energy costs are low enough and also our cost of capital to make sure that the cost of capital is controlled, it's not gonna break us, then we have a winning solution, right? I know that with the kind of structure that we have right now, or even going through the halving, the cost of capital is not gonna be uh, a significant impact to us, right? It's very different than you know a miner that goes out there, raises capital, raises a debt, for example, uh, and you know needs to refinance that debt throughout, you know, higher or lower interest rates. So they're all subject to that, knowing, you know, if you're in the bear market, nobody wants to touch miners, right? So it's harder to get investors interested. Well, or you go the other route, which is you're a public company and you have to issue more shares, which is, you know, it's the right thing to do for these companies. There's no, no question about that, right? Uh, but it's done at the, uh, at the cost of dilution for, for everybody, right? Including the, the mining teams that are working on, on, the, on there every single day, so. One other quick question on ASICs. When you guys were working with brokerage services to procure these ASICs, was it mostly like teams in the US? Is there any teams that you could name? And then secondarily, do you guys have any relationships with some of the manufacturers like the Bitmains, the micro PTs of the world, or are you guys mostly focused on the secondary market at this time? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> like one thing that you will see uh, in everything that we're doing, since this is fairly new to us, we're trying everything. So we've tried different ASICs, we've tried different brokers, we've tried different areas to acquire the, the ASICs, right? You don't go to zero to pretty much, or we're actually very, very close to 5X a hash as I've been watching my screen all day to see if we break 5X a hashes today. We haven't yet, but we're very close. Uh, but you don't go from zero to five without, you know, with one single path. So we had to go different paths. We had to find, you know, things with different people. Um, as I said, one of the key things that really helped us is to have a strong brand and should have a very strong network. So a lot of people that came to us again, right, and said, yeah, no, I know this person or that person and I know how to get there. So that was extremely helpful in, in acquiring the, the, the machines. Uh, this is a long way to answer your question and not really answer it, but <laughs> not giving too many specifics, but, uh, but it's the true. Like we've tried a little bit of, of everything. Yeah. 
it's okay. No one wants to give away their vendors, but you know, <laughs> I have to ask because people want me to find out that information. Let's go over and talk about the JV partners you're working with. I believe in one of the announcements that there was talk about a JV partner. And then past that, there was certainly the look like there was other entities involved with this, whether you guys are hosting or whether you guys are just like using someone else's infrastructure. So can you lay out how you guys are working with this five exahash that you or almost five exahash that you guys have online right now? What does that consist of? And who are some of the partners if they're publicly available to be named? Sure. Um, and I'll go through our rationale behind this. And I think it will make sense. So as I said, very important for us to control energy costs, right? So as we approach like the first site, we went through the first site. Okay, we want to deploy some machines with you. Let's take a look at the economics. Let's take a look at the hosting agreement, right? And they came back to us, you know, initially with something like, I don't remember the numbers. The numbers are not exact, but something like, I don't know, seven cents uh, for energy power, right? And like, yeah, that's not going to work because it's, you know, after the halving, we're not going to be breaking even. Remember, it is when Bitcoin prices were also a little bit different than we are right now. Um, so through the negotiations, we set up, so what would happen if we gave you guys a little bit of our profit, right? So let's say we give you 10% of our profits in Bitcoin and you just pass through your energy cost to us. And that resonated well with that host. They liked that idea, right? Uh, for us, it's better because again, it makes sure that even after the halving, we're gonna have very low energy costs, which are you know half of what we were seeing before. Uh, they're happy also because they get some Bitcoin, right? I think the interests are much better aligned. As, as a Bitcoiner, this is one of the things that we're always trying to get is to make sure that you know alignment of interest is there. Because uh, if the alignment of interest is there, things just stand in the long term to work better. Uh, we're all growing the same direction. They're not trying to jack up prices too much. You know, the prices are going to be passed through anyway. They want to make sure that the machines are running efficiently because, you know, if we have higher uptime, it's better for them because they actually get uh, more revenues out of it. So in this specific case, it just makes sense to do, you know, revenue share agreements. And this has been, I think, the case for m most of the sites that we've we've been in. Um, I would say that probably, uh, I don't know, 70% of our sites right now have some kind of form and model of uh, revenue or profit share agreements, right? Um, but the I think the flip side of that, which is really good, is we get very low energy costs. The bad side is we let go some of our Bitcoin, uh, you know, which is the most valuable asset in the world. Uh, but again, everything in life is choices and, and break even. So when we look at the different scenarios where Bitcoin price could be right and how much we're really foregoing here um, after having, it's a much better risk. There's, it's, it doesn't even compare. It's a much better risk reward to, to do, I think, structures like, like that. Um, as you can imagine, like we were looking at operators that had a lot of capacity. We started with smaller, you know, we started with size, I mean, smaller for what we were doing. So we started with size that, you know, had 10 megawatts or so. Uh, and we went all the way to sites that are close to, to 100 megawatts uh, in capacity for us, right? So, and then everything in, in between. Um, yeah, I mean, the, so geographically, we're this mostly in the US right now, we're expanding internationally as well. Uh, we have, you know, signed agreements to deploy in a couple of other countries. 
which we will eventually, I think, uh, announce, uh, you know, soon. But uh, again, these deals are still still in the works uh, and in the U.S. across different regions. So, you know, the, 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 the main places as people would expect, expect like Texas, right, but then in, in other areas as well. Gotcha. For the debt side of things, I want to go back to that really quickly. My understanding is you guys raised from debt to get this going for the mining side. At the same time, you guys recently, Swan itself had a fundraising announcement and there was no name attached to that announcement. Are these the same announcements? Like, it is the, was the debt sort of the raise and the raise or the debt in this situation or are those separate no. and distinct? They're separate. So let's go for the mining vehicle, right? So the mining yeah. vehicle completely segregated from the financial service business, right? It's a standalone entity. Uh, there's, you know, no cross collateralization between both of them, you know, by design. Uh, we raise capital for that entity. And I think this is, you know, uh, when having some sort of Wall Street background helped because we built, instead of just going out and doing the traditional debt only structure where most miners would, would do, right? We did a kind of like a hybrid structure where, you know, there's no uh, carry and we share the profits with our investors, right? So again, very similar to what we did on the hosting agreements. We just sent similar thing in our uh, partnership investment agreements uh, where people are just deploying capital with us. If this works out, you know, uh, they get priority payments, but then the profits are all split between between all of us, right? Uh, and... Uh, Going back to alignment of interest in our side, that aligns interest with investors extremely well because we want to first make sure that they get the investment back, right? And second, we optimize for upside to make sure that we can get as much capital out as possible for for them. So, again, alignments are uh, interests are aligned, and uh, things should work uh, much better that that way. Separate from that, so again, this is for the mining business. Separate from that's one did a much smaller raise uh, into a convertible last year. Uh, I mean, just this is just for the uh, operational part of the business, you know, for cash burn of the business. We are preparing for a bigger raise. Uh, still not 100% sure what route we'll do. But as you said in the beginning, I think long term, we know what we want to do. We want to go public. So we've been working actively to get the company ready for that, you know getting auditors, you know, setting up the finances in place, organizing everything, all that fun stuff. Fun uh, stuff. So that, yeah. <laughs> so that we get ready for whenever we, we go public. Gotcha. Okay. We'll get to some public questions at the end of the show because we definitely have a few there, including some that some listeners sent in. I want to ask about the JV one more time. And that's Tether has come around as a name that might be involved with this. You guys have not confirmed or denied it. Uh, but there's definitely been like the announcement with Tether a few months ago where I think they raised like 500 million or something like that, or they put 500 million aside for, for mining. They have the interest in Northern data. It seems like to be a very similar play to you guys. Can you confirm or deny that Tether is involved in any of this? Or is that something you're able to speak on? Yeah, I mean, people have speculated on a few names that are investors, right? And definitely Tether is one of them. Like we don't like a private and even as, you know, as early public company, like disclosing cap tables is probably one of the last things you do. Right. Yeah. Uh, capital is the the heart of what we do uh, is, uh, you know, probably the scarcer uh, of the raw materials that we have into mining. So, you know, we don't disclose our investors list and, uh, you know, who they are and where they come from. 
for obvious reasons. It's not because we're trying to be shady or anything. It's just that, you know, this would be giving our trade secret away. And there's no upside on us in, in doing that uh, at this stage, right? When we go public, of course, you know, then we're going to have to disclose everything. Everything is public. Everybody yeah. knows everything about what we do. Uh, I would just say that, you know, people draw super interesting to see all of this unfolding from my seat because, you know, I've seen people speculating about what Swan was doing. I've seen people speculating about, you know, Corey's announcement from the beginning and there are things all over the place, right? And uh, some of them are true, some are not, right? But uh, people would just say stuff with a lot of conviction when, you know, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're not. It's just a pure speculation, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's as far as I would go about talking about the, our investors and our investors, you know, even if I wanted to, a lot of our investors don't want us to disclose their names. Right. Uh, which is also a very typical, very standard in the, in the capital raising community. Definitely. But as a mining podcast, you gotta ask the question, right? Mm-hmm. We had uh, Paulo and Teller on the podcast a few months ago. That was a that was a great episode, indeed. Um, but thanks for yeah, taking that question. I love what on. he's doing. Like you know, everything that he's doing on peer to peer communications that's super important uh, and they're good. Like it's we want more miners in the in, in mm-hmm. the industry. You know, they've been close to home. You know, looking at projects in Latin America, uh, in Paraguay and other places. And so this is awesome. This is what what we want. We want more miners. More competition, but friendly competition. Let's talk about a few more operational things now that we've kind of gone through that stuff. Energy mix, energy costs, pool decisions. You guys had the ocean pool graphic up on Corey's Twitter account a little bit ago. Uh, can you give us some of like the finer details uh, for the mining operation itself? I'll leave the pools for the end because that's a super interesting discussion to to have. You know, I, I could talk just about that for a, for a full hour of the data analytics that we've done. But uh, so, but I'll leave that to to the end. Uh, like in everything that I, I told you, like we've tried everything. So we've tried different energy sources. We've tried different hosts, right? Uh, we tried different containers. So we have stuff in one phase immersion. We're working on having two phase immersion. We have a lot of stuff in there, of course, right? There's a little bit of everything. Uh, there's been some positive, some negative surprises in this whole process. Uh, a lot of it, I think, unfortunately, are host related, right? So if you have a very good host that is helping you, that is working with you, that have very good team on site, that know what they're doing, things just flow much easier regardless of the kind of structure that you have, right? Immersion on immersion, doesn't matter. But if you have, you know, a host that is not really well prepared, not well staffed, right? We had sites that we're actually having to send people there to do their jobs, right? Uh, but we have no alternative. If we don't do that, we're not hashing. And the opportunity cost of not hashing, it's uh, uh, it, it's always high. Before the having, you know, every day that we lose our hash rate, it's, uh, it's massive, right? Uh, by the way, this is one of the reasons why I started talking about this and I didn't. Bigger reason why we rushed and we tried to deploy as quickly as we did was because we wanted to anticipate the halving, right? And try to get as many machines hashing as we could before the halving. Um, you know, we made some calculations like uh, early on, we, we figured out that, you know, the, even if we deployed suboptimally in a, in a site that would give us, it, it's not that, but then exaggerated, it would give us like 80% uptime, right? 
we would still be better off than waiting one month or two months, right? Um, I remember looking at the beginning and seeing some of the charts of, you know, how long Meriton, Terrible, all these companies took to deploy 3x hashes and just sweating, saying, you know, these guys, it took them a year, longer than a year. How are we going to pull that off in a couple of months, right? And and we did it because, you know, we were able to, we 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 knew that we were going to have to compromise in some things, um, you know, and that, that, that was fine. And our uptime has been now, you know, so the first phase of was just deploying, let's get the machines out there. Let's find the host, right? Whoever had capacity that we thought were operationally good. We just deployed with them. And then after we did that, now we're going for optimization. So we're getting closer and closer to each of these sites to, to getting to, to 100% of uptime. Uh, big part of that first is just, you know, physically going there and making sure the machines are well installed, that, the, you know, the, the cooling conditions of wherever they are are good, right? So, I mean, basic uh, structure, but then also... On the, hard, on the hardware side, so going, and the software side, right? So going out there, making sure that we have the, high, the, the right hardware for the site, and that we also been trying, like everything else, very different firmware solutions, control board solutions, to find out what works best, right? Um, and it's not clear cut, like it, it's super interesting to see that firmware we have firmware that's performing really well on some sites and it's not in others, <laughs> you know, go figure why, because uh, there's so many variables that impact mining, right? That we're learning. Uh, sometimes it's like a small draft of air coming somewhere and then machines operate completely different because of that, right? And, uh, and that just throws things completely uh, in opposite directions than you would be expecting. But anyway, uh, so we've looked at different solutions there and we've been testing a couple of them and getting like one of our top sites now we are it's 95% or 97% actually um of the machines are hashing and we are at 104% of the expected hash rate because we're overclocking the machines we're able to get you know without compromising too much efficiency which is what you want right at the, at the end of the day so yeah i i we can go into the pools after this, and then I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the our journey with pools, which uh, that that that's a story yeah. by itself. <laughs> Definitely a, a big topic. End of last year with Ocean Pool and demand and a few other things launching. Uh, just to wrap up the ASICs high stuff, if you have any info on energy costs or energy mix, that'd be interesting. And then also, if you guys are pursuing hydro and or immersion tech. Yeah, not hydro. Definitely immersion. Uh, in our international expansions, we're looking at places that are fairly hot that, you know, would be impossible to, to run anything else. So we're definitely super interested in, in immersion. Uh, as I said, we've been looking mostly at one phase right now of what we have, but we are extremely interested in two-phase immersion. I know it's early. I know, you know, there are a lot of flaws with the technology. I know there are a lot of things that still need to be proven. Uh, but in the future, I think when we look, a lot of people talk about this, I'm not saying anything new, but if you look into how mining is going to be, you know, five, six years from now, it's probably going to be very different than what it is right now, right? So the the way the mining sites are configured, the way the machines are configured, the way they are set together, right? And who knows what's going to happen because technology, you know, has a random, a huge random component in how it develops. But uh, I can see a future where immersion is really, really important in, in what we do because you get, 
you know, a lot of machines together, you control your environment much better, right? And I think we're going to get to a point that it's going to be much cheaper and it's going to be much more efficient to, to deploy that way. Is it true right now? No, most of the cases, no. But uh, sometimes you have to, to pay to learn, you have to, be, to pay to be early in some of these things. So I would rather, you know, even on that, spend some money, make sure that it's part of our R&D. We're learning about it. We're close to the people who are developing in the right way. We're making strategic partnerships with uh, some of these folks, right? So down in the road, whenever they get to the right solution, we're very close with them uh, again. Um, and yeah, that's how we're doing it. And just to go back, I remember one thing we started talking about, I think it's important to highlight. Like the other thing we're seeing through, which is related to the topic we're just saying, another thing we're seeing through Swan Institutional is it's opening a whole set of conversations with public miners, hardware companies, right? You know, everybody that you can imagine that it's out there is coming to us. And since we are miners right now, it's a great angle because, you know, gets on the table with them. We talk about how to maybe restructure their, their deal in the same way that an investment banking would do for them. But we also come on the, with the partnership side and say, and by the way, you know, if you guys do this and develop these things, we can actually sit at the table with you. We could deploy hash rate with you. We can help you with different things, right? Um, so we're seeing a lot of that. And I think that's going to be a huge business for, for Swan. I've, as we look, I've been telling this to, to a lot of people, like as I look into, into what's happening in the Bitcoin ecosystem right now, it reminds me a lot about what I saw in banking in like the late 90s. You know, it's very incipient. People really didn't know what all these derivatives were about and what was about to happen, right? And how that was all going to explode. We had feeling that was going to be big, right? But people had no idea that the derivatives market would actually become bigger than the actual market itself by several multiples, right? Uh, and I think in mining, we're starting, and in, in Bitcoin in general, we're starting to see that. And the reflection is that there's a lot of talents that it's coming here, right? You know, a lot of people that historically would prefer to have gone work for a bank, right? Or to a large organization that want to work uh, in this, because this not only will give them the intellectual challenge, you know, the intellectual, I think, learning uh, path that they need, but also, you know, a lot of upside because if this really takes off, right, we're talking about a whole new industry being born, which is for for early entrants like us, there's massive upside usually. I want to move over to pools now and give you the floor. What, what was happening with your guys' pool decisions? Uh, the ocean yeah. thing was definitely interesting. And I will say, I did call on a podcast a few weeks ago that I thought Ocean Pool would have about 10% of the network come one year from its launch. And you guys are really helping me out with my, my <laughs> far bet there because you just threw some hash rate at it the other day. Yeah, yeah. I, I won't confirm, confirm or deny that. <laughs> but I think Corey gave some hints on, the, on his tweet. But I'll yeah, tell you, like, he, he did tweet about it. So it's kind of right there. Did, but yeah. <laughs> so... As I said, we're very data oriented. So I created something where I basically, you know, I look at this every day. I have a send key chart that, you know, starts with the hash rate, starts with the ASICs, how, much, how many ASICs are online, how much hash rates are be, is being deployed, right? Where is it going to, which, which pools it's going to, and then you can set it by time frame. So let's say, let's look at the last 24 hours and say, okay, so I deployed this amount of hash rate to this pool. First of all, is it matching with what the pool says? Okay, it is fine. Now let's look at, you know, the, on the pool side, 
how much we're receiving compared to what it was expected, right? And I think when we talk about most of the pools out there, um, the problem is, the, and this is why, you know, a lot of the comparisons I see out there between ocean and other pools are not apples to apples, uh, because you need to pick a period of time. So let's say we look in the last day and I would look at the pool, right? Pick a random pool. And I would say, okay, this pool found this many blocks, right? This is how many transaction, transactions that they were there. Here's how much they got in Bitcoin rewards. Here's how much they got in transaction fees. How much did I receive compared to that, right? The numbers never match, never. They never match. <laughs> the divergence are huge. And if you get longer periods of time, right? So I started getting very paranoid about this. You know, I may be like three months down or four months down on our operation because there was a pool that we were using. And as transaction, this wasn't a problem when transaction fees were low and, they, and also when they were not that volatile. We went to a period of time when transaction fees became very high, right? In some cases, you know, higher than the, the block reward itself and very volatile. So in an hour, they're, you know, 100% and an hour, they're 50%, right? So they're all volatile all over the place, which gives a lot of room for the pools to play games around this. And they know that, right? So they will look at the fast day. They'll say, okay, this is how much we mine. Here's the, how much the average transaction fee was in a day. And people may or may not know, you know, exactly. And a lot of people don't run the numbers. They don't run the calculations, right? Um, and when you look at the numbers, the numbers, as I said, diverge a lot. So when I looked at this pool, first of all, we disconnected them immediately. Like as soon as we found out, like just switch all the miners out of there, you know, let's go somewhere else overnight. And we did. It was, you know, in one day we were completely out of the, or even less than that, we're completely out of that pool which there's a message there for pools, right? Don't play games because you're going to get spotted. People are going to find out and you're going to lose hash rate eventually, right? The smaller miners may not look at it. They may not put, uh, you know, pay too much attention for it. But again, this is a pool that lost a few extra hashes because they were playing games. And some of them, I think it's on purpose. Some, I think it's not on purpose, right? So we had another pool, for example, a small pool that we know was doing merge mining, right? And I, I think what happened, this is my, my theory, because, you know, there were, whenever volatility of blocks became very high, you'd see that the merge mining pool would actually drop in terms of uh, revenue compared to what you would expect. And I think the reason for that is, though, you know, whenever they're deploying hash rate to other places, they have to make an assumption of how much block rewards are going to be in, in, the, in Bitcoin, right? And th those assumptions are always going to be off if you have very high volatility. So high, vo and this is just to prove the point that I think high volatility in fees is also another problem uh, for miners to, to track, right? It, it makes the waters murkier. So it gives more space for miners to, to, to for pools to, to play games, right? Uh, and then fast forward, Ocean came out, right? And right out of the get-go, one of the things that caught my attention is the fact that, you know, one, there's full transparency. So we may like or not like, you know, the way that they're creating their block templates, right? But one thing is for sure, I know exactly what it is. And I know exactly for the next block, I can actually see how it's going to be constructed right now. And there are no games being paid, right? And another thing is whenever they find a block, you know, whoever is mining with them gets directly from the Coinbase. It doesn't go anywhere else, right? Uh, it goes directly to, to, to the miner. So... That was initially what caught my attention with Ocean. And in the, again, in our spirit of trying everything, so we definitely need to deploy some hash rate there. Let's see how this plays out, right? Uh, they have, I think people conflate some of the issues around Ocean 
And a lot of people throw out, yeah, but you know, the block times are uncertain and the luck element still plays a lot. And it's true. Like in the beginning, it was even bigger. Like they went almost a month without finding a block when they had very little hash rate. It's funny because I think they found a block like on one day after launch day, right? And then another yeah, like block. really fast. <laughs> but it's and then luck, nothing right? for a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's or yeah. not not luck, but it's you know it's it's probabilistic. So at the end of the day, uh, variance tends to reduce as you get in longer periods of time, and also you know with more hash rate being deployed. Uh, what we've seen with them, I think, since uh, there was you know somebody deployed more hash rate to them, is that it's been pretty much on much closer to, to right now they're expected to find a block every i think two days and 20 something hours right and it's been happening exactly like that the, the the variance has been very very low again that may be luck but the reality is that more and more hash rate they get the less variance they're going to have uh in their case i think they get a lot of scrutiny for something that also you know we we kind of are in the same boat when we see that and it's something we like there's a little bit of paradox in transparency, right? Whenever you give more transparency to people, people should be happier about that because they see exactly what we're doing. Uh, but in a lot of instances, it actually leads to much more questioning, right? Because you're opening the door to different things and people start questioning different things and start to try to understand the detail of the detail. So whenever you give more transparency to people, you have a short period of time in the beginning where that leads to all kinds of different questions, more confusion probably, right? But the long term, that leads to trust. And by the way, this is exactly the same way we are with everybody at Swan, with our investors, right? We give transparency. Sometimes it's too much transparency on internally of everything that we're doing, but we always prefer to err on that side than on the side of not being transparent enough, right? And that leads to questions. That leads to people asking you, you know, the tough questions, and that's fine, right? And some of them they're going to agree with, some they're not. But long term, they're going to know that if no, if at least I know if I'm getting less fees with them, that I know exactly why I'm getting less fees with them. The other thing that's really caught my attention about them which makes all of this that we just said muted because very soon they're going to give us the ability to construct our own blocks and we can we're going to be able to construct the blocks the way that we want right if i want to prioritize one transactions i will right it doesn't matter i mean we will construct our it's not going to be economical to do that but uh, you know maybe, maybe we will right uh and i think one of the things long long term right in the future I think people are not paying enough attention to, I think Bitcoin has scarcity in two different areas, right? One is on Satoshi's, which is, that's the obvious one, but there's scarcity in block space also, right? And that's becoming, I think, more and more relevant and more and more important. Long-term, there's going to be a market in some sort of way for block space. People paying to accelerate, to get in front of your queue, right? People, you know, doing all different things that we don't even think about right now. The same way that I told you about the development that I saw in derivatives in the 90s, you know, going through the financial markets, there's no way we thought about, you know, the hundreds and thousands of different derivatives that were going to come out. We knew that there was going to be a marketplace for that. We could only think about call options and put options, actually only call options in the beginning. And then it developed in like, you know, uh, and then of course it went all the way to the craze of too many derivatives. But uh, the point here is that in, there are a lot of things that, you know, we just don't know what we don't know. And as in any new technology, the 
the the the the use cases they're usually much bigger than you can anticipate uh, in the beginning and we're we want to have a stake on that we want to participate on that we want on that we want to make sure that you know we understand how it works we understand how to create the blocks we understand if there is a market on that we are able to participate on it and ocean just gives us the the, the optionality to do that uh, all of this being said, as I said, you know, again, we're going to take control again of block creation, you know, and which is super important. I think miners should take control of that again. Um, and if you actually look at the numbers, right, and if you look at the blocks that they've mined, the differences are not that significant in terms of transaction fees. On average, they've been lower, but it's not nearly, it doesn't justify all the, the noise that you get there. If we had the discounting fees, you know, just by, I don't know, 10, 15 basis points in the fees that we, we, we had with them compared to what we did in other miners, it would already justify using them. So at the end of the day, it just makes, this is like check, check, check. It makes a lot of sense to use it, right? Are we going to be, you know, go out and deploy all of our hash rates to a single pool? Never. Like, and that's true for Ocean. That's true for, it's irresponsible to do that. Uh, but it would also be, I would be breaching my fiduciary duty to my investors if we weren't using them along with other pools, right? Would Swan ever launch its own pool, you think? You know, we've been thinking a lot about that, like what Marathon has done, which is another interesting thing, right? You actually, I was listening to, uh, to Fred and, you know, he was saying, um, uh, exactly. It's like, oh, we launched and we were actually surprised that it became more profitable for us in terms of like the transaction fees and everything else that we received by having our own pool. In a model like Ocean, I don't think there is a reason for us to launch our own pool. The only reason why I would think about launch, launching our own pool was if we if it gave us control of block creation, right, compared to every, everybody else. But I can do that in isolation or I can do that with Ocean, which I still has this going to have the same, you know, functionality. Uh, and I have the added benefit of having other miners come in and, you know, contributing hash rate as well. And maybe they find a block. I'm going to get a piece of that as well. So I think you end up with a better model than just trying to do your, yourself. But uh, again, it's early to make to make the decision. This is where I am right now. But uh yeah, I think if there's one thing I've learned in the in the mining industry is that your your mind is you're you're gonna switch opinion like ten times, you know, in a period of like five days, and uh, then you're gonna land with something. So, gotcha. Okay, so let's finish up with those questions and go into future stuff. You guys are trying to go for eight x a hash. The halving is less than hundred days away. I think we're like at eighty five days or something like that. What are you thinking about as the brand new operator of this for almost five X a hash fleet that you're trying to get to eight X hash? What are you, what's keeping you up at night? What are you guys trying to prioritize for? Uh, a lot of the cards have already been dealt, right? A lot of that's already been done, but we still have a little bit of time. And then post happening, there's certainly going to be a lot of volatility or chaos, or at least we're, I'm thinking there could be. Yep. So, the first one I mentioned already is making sure we optimize our fleet so that it being like front and center of everything we do, going out there, every single site, optimizing the machines, make sure we can get as much juice as we can out of them, you know, with the current setup that we already have. This is, this is the easy picking for us because it's out there, it's deployed, right? And the quicker we do that, more Bitcoin we're going to get, you know, ahead of, of the halving. The second one is to make sure that, you know, we have low energy costs, we continue to have low energy costs. 
Uh, so some of the contracts that we've done, they're shorter term contracts and we're ready planning. Okay. They're going to be, they're going to mature, you know, before the having or a month or two after the having, where do we go next? Uh, so we'd be building bridges to other places internationally in the U S as well to make sure that we, we have some room there. Uh, another thing we've been doing more and more is we now starting to go down and actually, you know, looking to getting some of the sites and having our own infrastructure. So we'll be building that. There's a first project we are working on that, uh, you know, securing capital to do that right now, where we're going to control the site, you know, from the bottom up. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's also, not, without getting too much into detail, it's a very cool project because we're recapturing the heat to, you know, potentially warm up greenhouses and other things like that. So it's something, again, potentially could could lead to even lower energy prices than what we already have, even if we don't do that. Um, so these are things we're looking at right now is how we can make sure, going back to what I said in the beginning, make sure that we keep, you know, our cost of capital low, energy prices low. And then the rest we don't control. You know, let's see what happens with the Bitcoin price. What happens through the cycle? Uh, for us, that for all of us have been on this for a long time. You know that that's completely unpredictable. Uh, how many times I've heard that? You know, after the last having, everybody was saying, "Yeah, difficulty is going to drop because a lot of people is, are going to drop out." And you know, it didn't. <laughs> you know, if you really look into a long period of uh, long term chart, the only period we saw dropping hash rate was uh, China uh, banning mining. Right. Other than that, it's just a straight up chart. And so there's no reason for us to think that that's going to change. Uh, I think the mining business still super dynamic. There are a lot of opportunities out there. People can still move around. Right. So it's hard to see, a, uh, you know, a scenario where difficulty drops significantly, which again, beautiful for the network. This is exactly what, what yeah. we want. And price, man, I mean, like in terms of price, I uh, e even before mining on Swan Research, I always said, I don't make any price prediction. I think anybody who does, they're, they're destined to be wrong uh, because it's a very nascent asset. We're in early early stages of uh of adoption right and bitcoin is a fraction of all of the big monetary assets out there bitcoin eventually is going to capture you know monetary premium from gold real estate stocks bonds right art all of that and eventually if it does even at the very small margins we're talking about you know an order or orders of magnitude uh, higher than where we are right now. So me trying to predict if you know price is going to be at 40, 60, 100, 100 doesn't matter. Like long term, I can tell it's going up. <laughs> okay, let's finish with the the big question, which is public listing. You guys hinted at that. Well, it kind of actually like came out and said it. Uh, Corey tweeted about it. I believe it was in the press release as well, saying that. Swan is going to pursue publicly listing probably this year. You know, sometimes it takes a longer. Also, it's a, a market timing event. I want to get like the high level overview for how you guys are thinking about that. Is it a financial services firm first? Is it a mining pitch first? Is it some sort of combination of those things? Is there more things coming up? And then second part, I want to get to kind of like the ideology behind Swan, Bitcoin and only Bitcoin first and becoming a public company. Does that change once you go into public markets and you have different fiduciary duties? So I'll start with the first part. How are you guys thinking about going public? Uh, and when are you guys going to start like really cranking the engines on that? 
Yeah, if you don't mind, I'm actually going to flip it because I think it starts from the last question. We are nice. going to continue 100% Bitcoin only. This is the differentiator for us. You know, everybody that it's at Swan has, you know, the, the, the Bitcoin only mindset. So it, if we change that, we kill the company, right? And, and I would be one to jump ship as well if we change that. So that's definitely and absolutely not going to change. I think because of that, we've built a very strong brand. Uh, and a very strong flow of talent into the company. So all of the other things that I told you, mining, financial services, all of that, that's all irrelevant if we don't have these things, right? So this is what made Swan from the beginning is our people, our brand. It's quite interesting to see. This is the first time I see a company where the brand and the network and the distribution was built before a product right? Usually you have a product and then you build everything else. This is what's completely upside down, which is great. Uh, but, you know, we, we have no intention of killing that. If anything, we want to capitalize and monetize on that in, in the right way for, for everybody. Uh, so that kind of answers the, the last question. As we go public, this is going to be, this is the primary reason why we want to go public is because we think it's important for Bitcoin. You know, uh, if we need to prove and the, which because we think it's a, this is the right move, right? We know this is now we've, we're seeing it and we're proving it that being Bitcoin only, it's very profitable. It's I, and I would argue that, you know, maybe in the short term, maybe I even question that it's not as much profitable of you trying to do every different different thing. Right. Uh, but long term, I have no question. This is the right uh, move because we're going to. First of all, we earn this for the monetary, you know, uh, aspects of Bitcoin. I don't think there is any competition anywhere close to that on the monetary aspects. Uh, if you want to create, you know, a payment company that is going to be based on rails of, you know, token, I, I don't care about that. That's a completely different business than what we do, right? And good luck to you. But our focus is on, again, making sure that the best monetary asset that was ever created to mankind continues that way. Uh, and that, you know, we get exposure to our clients and to our investors to, to that asset. It would have been, for example, very simple for us to create a trading platform, right? Very simple, like, you know, we, we never did because it's not the right thing to do, right? Even though it would have been more profitable to us. And I guarantee none of our investors would question that because they know that in the long term, that's the, the right move for us to, to be doing. Going back to the IPO, we haven't really decided on timing because, you know, having gone through like process of IPO in the past, you don't control a lot of things, right? We need to be at the right place on the cycle. You know, we need to be at the right place for the investors, right? It's not only Bitcoin price, but we need to make sure that the economy is also doing well, right? The overall market is doing well. So we completely don't control that. What we control is to get the company ready for that. So this is the year for us to get the company ready for that. We're working internally to make sure that everything is in place, right? And to go out there. Going to your question about, you know, is Bitcoin, is a Swan going to become a mining company? No, uh, like in any new business, right? You're going to start different verticals. Some are going to take off much quicker than others, right? We're very lucky that mining took off as quick as it did. Uh, but I'm convinced there is a much bigger business to be built on other verticals that we haven't even started, right? Um, the the, the one-off deals, we're going to have a venture capital, uh, you know, the branch that we're thinking about. And so there are all these different businesses that are going to be born on top of this. They're just going to make this a very diversified business in, in the long term. So, and that's what we're looking to build.
Love it. Rafa, where can people find more stuff about you, Swan Mining and Swan or anything you guys want listeners to know about? Yeah, so I'm on mostly on uh, on Twitter X uh, as Alpha Zeta with two A. So Alpha A Zeta uh, has been my handle for, I don't know, for a while on, on Twitter. Um, yeah, just follow me there. A Swan, you know, it's uh, at Swan also at, uh, at X. And happy to, to answer any questions. And just, you know, my DMs have been flooded recently with everything that is happening. But I'll get to everybody eventually. So, yeah. Awesome. And yeah, if any listeners are out there and you have questions about this, feel free to email me at william at blackspace.media and we can put that in the show notes and or in our newsletter that also goes out right after the podcast goes out. Rafa, thank you so much for joining and best of luck mining with the new opportunity here. Thanks, Will. Great being here, man. Thank you so much. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans. Like for a new ride, or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.